A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. I'm Chris Elias, and welcome to Transformative Experts. We've got a a great guest with us today. Jennifer Brazier is with us today. She is the author author of From Cubicle to Cloud. Good morning. Uh, Good morning, Jennifer. Hi, Chris. How are you? It's such a pleasure to be here today. Oh, it's it's great having you with me. Sorry, I'm I'm feeling a little tongue tied this morning. It's uh, too too much going on. Not enough time. Anyway, it's it's good to have you with us, and uh, you know, for the for the listeners, uh, you know, I've, I've asked jo- Jennifer to join us because she is a, a a great example of what it's like to 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 make a decision. Let's call it midlife. Um, to 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 step out of what I would call maybe a traditional business world and um, go out there and 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 build your own thing. I'm not going to go into too much details. I don't want to steal <laughs> your thunder here. But, um, but you know, we talk a lot about success and, and, and people choose to be successful. Uh, they choose to do things. And um, Jennifer is a great example of that. So Jennifer, you know, for our audience um, who may not know you, may not be, may not be aware of your book, uh, give us a story. How did you get to where you are today? And where is that? <laughs> wow, such a big question and, and so many different answers to it. But really, you know, for me, I'm a believer in sharing the journey. I think that if you hear my bumps and bruises and you understand what my motivations were, then perhaps you can grab onto a piece of that and say, ooh, that sounds like me. Maybe that would work. And back when I was starting Complete Controller, um, you know, I was in my mid-30s. I had three teenage kids at home. And I was driving to clients to go serve them as an outsourced controller. So just helping them with, you know, hiring their accounting staff and looking at their reports and all this good stuff. Well, I'm hours for dollars. I am stuck in this traditional method where I'm driving out to see them. I'm charging them for my time. I'm driving home. If I'm taking a day off to spend with my kids, I'm not making money. If I'm making money with the client, I'm not hanging out with my kids. So there's this guilt thing that's constantly going on. And with three kids and one of them is blind. So she had disability services and of course wanted to do everything all the other kids were doing, but it was just a little bit harder for her. Took a little bit more time. Right. And so I had this constant tug going on in my life this guilt, no matter what, you know, if I'm with the clients, I'm guilty because I'm not with the kids. If I'm with the kids, I'm guilty because I'm not with the clients. Plus, how do you ever make money doing that? Your hours or your inventory, you can only charge what the market will bear. So as a professional, we've been taught that we are our value. We have to charge for our services and we have to provide our services. But what I started to do is challenge that idea and think about ways that I could provide the services, bookkeeping, record keeping, financial reporting, without actually having to do all of the work myself. And that got the wheels turning. But it took having a client come to me with a need to really start the business. And this client, he was a self-storage management company. He had clients all across the nation, self-storage facilities in Michigan and San Diego, California, and just everywhere, right? Because his job was to make sure that they were making as much money as they possibly could, marketing their self-storage facility, doing a great job. Well, he, as part of his management contract, had to do bookkeeping and performance reporting for his clients, but he was having a CPA firm do it. The CPA firm's looking at this work as low revenue, no fun, put it on the back burner. He's getting his reports back a month or two after the fact. He's looking bad to his clients. He comes to me and says, Jennifer, I wish you could do all of it. You do such a great job with our company. If you could do it for all the self-storage facilities, that would be fabulous. But I can't afford to fly you out there. You can't do it. And I said, if I can figure out a way to do it, will you bring me your clients? And he said, yes. He said, if the price point is right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Smart guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
But that was the opportunity. I already had in my mind that I was getting sick of this drive dollars for hours kind of thing. And and so then when that happened, I thought to myself, there's got to be a way. I mean, what I do doesn't require me to be right there in the office sitting next to somebody. I just don't have to be. And I can train people to do what I do without being in the office. So I had a conversation with a guy who was just super techie, you know, high level tech nerd, loved what he did, knew all of the newest things. And I told him my pie in the sky dream, which is that I could deliver bookkeeping services and the client could access it and see what I was doing and keep track of our work in real time. And bookkeepers, anywhere they happen to be, could log in and do their work. And everybody could live in this beautiful place that was called the cloud later on when it became popular. But back then in 2007, wasn't really called anything at all. (laughs) Nobody was doing business in the cloud. We had a few people with ideas about how to do some professional services virtually through web platforms, but none of them were completely cloud-based. And of course, we didn't even call it the cloud back then, right? So what what was it called back then? Do you recall? I, I'm trying to think about this. When did like Microsoft cloud, when did all these other things pop up? It was after that point. It was way after. I mean, really, my first system was a terminal services environment, which is basically you have this server and then it's pushing out the data to all of these different terminals. Right. Yeah. But my terminals didn't happen to be in the same building as the server. They happened to be remote. And so then the server was accessed through remote desktop. So that was the old original configuration. Yes. Long before virtual machines. And I remember those days. We used to call them wide area (laughs) networks, right? They're closed wide area networks that, you know, um, they, those kind of became what's known as a VPN. Now the virtual private networks and, and, um, and, and you would have a special login and, and it was as though you were on the computer that was remote and usually had to have a, a, special line but maybe not by the time you were doing it did you know but um that's uh that's really interesting because we don't think back to those days we, we just think about doing everything through internet ex- well explorer or safari or or google or chrome google chrome right. any of those and most of those didn't even exist back then well when i think about it today you know we seem to what what we're doing today to me seems web-based as opposed to cloud, right? Because I'm so used to this being able to access a server and having it act like an independent machine. And um, and yes, we used a VPN and we had to have static versus dynamic uh, internet connection uh, because, you know, if you had dynamic, it would change your IP address from time to time and then the VPN wouldn't let you in. There were just all of these, you know, uh, little nuances that went with it back then. And, and people weren't doing it all that much. Larger and mid-sized companies were. And thankfully, my guy came from a school district. So he had a budget to be able to play with this type of, of configuration. And he had created it for his school district w- with his teachers and stuff. And so then that had allowed me to leverage his knowledge to get in there and have him create something for me less robust, less expensive, but with those same qualities, being able to let people in and keep the security really strong. So I go back to my client, the self-storage property management company, and I say, I've got it. I can do this for you. We can do a cruel basis, pay the bills at the site. We can teach the staff at the site how to count the cash drawers. We can interact with the POS system. We can download the data, import it into the QuickBooks file. We can connect directly to the bank accounts. We can manage the merchant account and we can do it all for 500 bucks a month. And he's like, sold. 20 clients brought them all in within, you know, several months so that we could onboard each one carefully. And thank heaven for that. You know, it's really good to have that first seed client, right? Because then you know you're going to get paid. (laughs) Yeah. 
Not everybody has that advantage. And I was so fortunate that he saw the light and he wanted to do it. And it made sense for him because at that price point, he just baked it right into his contract. And then we were off and running, right? Poor guy, though. I did have to cut my teeth on his clients because they were my first clients, you know? Well, yeah. And we all, anytime we start something new, there's, there's always that group that is the beta, whether they know it or not. <laughs> Amen. Oh, my goodness. You know, there were some things that happened that were just bumps in the road. But then there were really learning situations, you know, where I, I realized that I had gaps in my processes and that because I wasn't there at the location or interacting directly with the owners of the facility on a day-to-day basis, there were questions that didn't get asked. Um, There were um, documents that didn't get sent over to us. And one of them was a property tax bill. And as you can imagine, a large self-storage facility, the property tax bill is not anything to laugh at. Yeah. 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 And when those don't get paid, the penalties are horrible. Oh my goodness. I just, it was devastating. And, and that was one of those lessons that I didn't get to keep the client. You know, they're like, "Eh, this isn't quite working for me, but it allowed me to tweak my process in a way that I could keep future clients because that wasn't going to happen again. Right. Yeah. So the process started to build. I started to take these clients that I was driving to go see and say, hey, listen, come on board. Here's my package. Here's your options. This is what we can do for you, but I'm not coming out anymore. And I think that's an important point in every entrepreneur's journey is where you decide to finally just cut those bread and butter clients out and you're going to leap you know, it's time. And for me, I mean, they were paying the bills, right? So it was a big deal. Yeah. It's, 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 it's hard to walk away from some of those. And, you know, I I think about it and um, I still have, I still have one, which was one of my, one of my first clients, but I I love them so much and I love working with them so much. I, I don't see ever stopping. It's, it's, it's a great, um, great organization. Uh, but there are many others that were when, when, when starting out, kind of admittedly, I'm not sure I knew what I wanted to do when I started on this path, right? I mean, we, mm-hmm. we started with with kind of consulting and had a general idea around strategic planning, better execution, et cetera. But yes, those first clients, um, they they were instrumental in, in, in getting me up and running. But um, the, today, the bread and butter looks very, very different than it did back then. And if, if I were still with those clients charging what I was charging, that would be a whole different story. We have to grow. We have to move beyond. I'm kind of curious. So you mentioned... Um, you mentioned QuickBooks. And of course, I started thinking, well, you know, we use QuickBooks. How many people, I mean, lots of people use QuickBooks, QuickBooks online. Millions. So, yeah. so are you then providing, um, are you then just, are you providing the actual bookkeeping services, but these services then are remote? Are you, you're really kind of a go-between, right? With, with how you set it up or, or what actually is the business model? Right. So excellent question. Back then, QuickBooks was a desktop program. It was an application that you had to load. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you could only work on it locally and we had a need to host it. And, uh, and so we went to Intuit and we, we said, you know, we want to be a host. What does that look like? And they said, well, we don't really have that. We have that for our enterprise level clients, the ability to host, but you know, we don't really do it for, um, uh, for just regular small business clients, um, but the accountants do it. Like, you know, the accountants will have these more sophisticated systems and one accountant can log into a client's books and play around with them and so can another. And so from that then, we um, entered into a hosting agreement where as long as we were doing the accounting for the client, then we were allowed to host their books. And if we wanted to give them access to those books, then that was our prerogative. So there were accounting firms that obviously, you know, they worked in the books and they did bookkeeping for their clients, but their clients didn't have access to the books. And then there were clients that did their own bookkeeping and the accountants would try to remote in using all of these various methods that Intuit had created that none of them worked well. And, you know, and you're trying to make accountants copies and update and oh, dear Lord. 
So what we did is we created a solution where everyone could be in the books at the same time or separately, but everyone had access to them. So the key to my solution was transparency. Let's stop making it so that if your accountant is doing your bookkeeping, you can't see what's going on. Or if you're doing your bookkeeping, your accountant can't hop in there and guide you and see what's going on. And so now we have this full team collaboration. And my next step was then to provide the bookkeepers to do the work. Not all of it. Some clients wanted to do some of the work and then others didn't want to do any at all. And so I had to give them options. And this is where I got away from the hours for dollars. I really wanted to create a system by which they could select what their needs were and pay a set fee. And then we could provide those services on budget every time. Yeah, that's uh, that's always a good model. I mean, it was one of the things when, when I think about back in, in my, you know, when I was on the other side of the fence, one of the things that, um, that I pretty much hated about working with consultants or outsiders is it seemed like every time you talk to them, you got a bill. Six minutes, yes. you, you got a bill for, for, you know, 10% of an hour. I mean, it was just, it was, it was wild. And so kind of this concept of a retainer base where, wow, you know, I might have five questions this month, but maybe I've got none next, but I have the ability to connect with you. That's, that's really, really an important thing. Um, so Jennifer, I've been enjoying this so far. Let's, uh, let's take a quick break. Um, we have to, to, to let the radio station do its thing here. So um, folks, stay tuned. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes with Jennifer Brazer. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back with Jennifer Brazer. So, so Jennifer, this this path has been been fun for you. And uh, you know, one of the things that we might uh, we might be thinking, right? Some of the, the listeners might be thinking is, well, you know, uh, you must have you must have had like some great pedigree. You must have had you know a whole bunch of money. I mean, how do you just start something like this? You know, who was behind you? And so, so you know, I'd love it if you'd share a little bit about how you get something like this going. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so important for people to know that you don't have to have been the CEO of a big company. You don't have to, you know, be a PhD. Uh, You don't even have to, um, you know, have investor funding in order to chase your dream. I think that, you know, absolutely ingenuity uh, is needs to be there. You, you need to be watching for those opportunities. But hey, like I had said, I was stuck in that hours for dollars model and it wasn't working for me. So I was already coming from this place of unrest, right? And, and they say that desperation breeds ingenuity. So I was watching for that opportunity. And when it came, I just had to be willing to pounce on it. And I think that one of the things that that people will get stuck in, and especially in professional services, is this traditional model rigidity. 
They're so worried about what their colleagues are going to think, what their clients are going to think, what their staff are going to think about their model that they want to create, that they create it to satisfy those people's expectations. It's backwards. I would say, you know, when I was developing my business model, the main advantage that I had was that I was not married to any one idea and I didn't really care. I wasn't with a CPA firm, so I wasn't trying to make stakeholders accept my idea as a good one. I was not going out for investment money, so I wasn't trying to impress an investor or a board of advisors and make them think that what I was offering was good. I was able to create it the way that I wanted it to be in my ideal situation. And I wish that more entrepreneurs would do that because I think that we would come out with these ideas where, you know how it just it hits you sideways, right? Yeah. You're like, oh, what? How did they think of that? That is so cool, right? Those are those people that just, they just threw away traditional model constraints and just did it the way that they wanted to do it. You know, it's it's funny because there's a part of me and we, we've touched on this in a couple other episodes, but I wonder what it is. There's something about an, a true entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit. A, mm-hmm. a lot of people want to be an entrepreneur. I mean, colleges teach programs in, in entrepreneurialism. I've, I've gone and taught at colleges mm-hmm. on it, but I wonder how much of it is really teachable. You know, if, that's not really the right word, but, but I wonder how much can actually be learned and how much of it is innate, because I think it takes a certain amount of fortitude. It takes a kind of a, a, a it takes a, a, a tough stomach, if you will, to, to get through this. I mean, I had friends when I, when I left, when I left big boy, um, my best, one of my best friends at the time we were having lunch and he said, so what are you going to do next? And I said, I don't know. And he said, wait, you left that big salary and you don't know what you're going to do? I said, well, I, I have a general idea and it's going to be in this direction. And, you know, I've already got a couple people who, who want me to come in and help them on this stuff. So I'm going to and we'll see where it goes. And he said, wow, I, I could never do that. He said, I, I, always, I, I always need to have that income. And the funny part was, is he actually financially didn't, quote unquote, need the income, but he didn't have the fortitude to kind of go forward with it. And I've heard so many people say to me, you know, another friend of mine who is, um, uh, well, I don't know how I would describe him. I, I would describe him as a, a dreaming inventor because I can't tell you how many times he would have an idea and I'd say, wow, you should go with it. Oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. And then so, someday, you know, a year or two later, it pops up out on the scenes. I had that idea. I should have done that. Right. And, but you yeah. didn't. You didn't. Yes. And, um, you know, and 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 people will sit around complaining about the things that they've missed or how the world has come up, and they had the idea first or whatever, but they didn't take the action. It's so important to recognize that, and and I talk about this in my book how the difference between you know somebody who has a great idea and an entrepreneur is that when an entrepreneur has a great idea. They research it, they test it, they build a model, they start talking to people about it, they start figuring out what the financial side of it looks like, they start putting processes in place, and they're, they, they're getting this whole thing rolling. I mean, you give an entrepreneur 24 hours, they can start up a company with the Secretary of State, get things rolling, have a tax ID number, have a bank account open the next day, and they are, are bringing in revenue as soon as they possibly can, if it's a model that works. They're not afraid to test it. They're not afraid to play with it. Not afraid to tell as many people as possible what they're thinking so that they can get that feedback. Oh, that's a bad idea. Oh, that's silly. Oh, did you think of this? You know, because that feedback helps us to get those wheels turning. Sometimes we love hearing, oh, that's a bad idea because, oh, really? Okay. So I haven't explained it well enough. (laughs) Now I have a challenge. (laughs) Yeah. Or or it makes you go and think it and and push it differently. It's, it's, so many people told me I was crazy for what I was doing. Yeah. I mean, I bet you heard that, especially in 2007 when this was new. Uh, there had to have been a group of naysayers, had to be a group of people that said, really, how are you going to pull this off? The technology will never be there. I mean, I, I remember people saying, the technology will never be there. I mean, you're asking for something that could never happen. 
Yes. And it's always hard to be right on the front line of something because other people, you know, they, they don't know yet that that can be okay. But especially in the accounting industry, because I mean, anyone who knows an accountant knows that we are not generally the people that just grab on to the newest innovation with glee and run into it without, you know, reckless abandon. No, we analyze and we let someone else try it first and then we consider it for about five years. Yeah, well, you're and supposed then, to be conservative. You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, how could you possibly do something new? What? <laughs> Wait, you're going to take my my ledger and and my pencil out of my hand? What? It's just <laughs> it's terrifying. And and now, of course, you know, here's the thing: nobody wants a pandemic. This was a really trying year last year, and especially because it so affected the small businesses that impact our economy, our growth, and even our hope. You know, I, I feel like we have so much hope and 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 so much um, to look forward to because we have our businesses and we're working towards something that we know is going to work if we just put in a little bit more blood, sweat, and tears. And so I feel like last year was just so crushing. But if anything came from it, it was that push toward this virtualization. And, and it needed to happen. We needed to get off our butts and realize that the world is going to be virtual. And if we're going to wait for the next generation to do it, then guess what? We're going to get left behind because innovation is not going to wait for us. Yeah, adversity really does create that, right? You know, so, so you made a comment earlier and the, the, the quote that came to my mind is necessity is the mother of invention. Um, you know, if, if you really think about it, you, you know, you can look at points in history. I mean, I think about the Industrial Revolution. I mean, that came off, off of, you know, ages of the Black Plague and the Dark Ages. And, you know, Dark, dark Ages led to the Renaissance. I won't, I'm not getting all my timing right. And then we moved <laughs> to the Industrial Revolution. And, I mean, there seem to be these moments in time where we have this catalyst that drives us or accelerates us forward. And you go through a period of time where things kind of evolve and they just kind of move. And I think business has been evolving for the last hundred years. And, you know, we could, we can sit and, and complain about the crisis and the pandemic, but you know what? Um, these things have happened before and they're going to happen again. There are other things. I mean, you know, that, that, that change things, but, but once in a while there's a catalyst. And if you can look at the benefit of this, the catalyst to moving forward, I had some clients who heavily resisted the idea of remote. I mean, they had people traveling all over the world, um, mm-hmm. you know, different places. A friend of mine who's a CEO of a, of a big marketing firm, a uh, big marketing advertising firm in New York and said he had, you know, he had account executives going all over the country and, um, and, you know, you don't always know what these people are doing, but but the, the travel expenses were huge. Right. And when we when we talked about, you know, utilizing virtual for some meetings pre-COVID, oh, we could never do that. You have to be in the room with these people. You can't you can't do this stuff. But yet here we were forced to do it. And he, he told me recently, he said, you know, he said, what's happened is, is I've now determined who my movers and shakers are because they're the ones that have filled their schedule and are still working with clients. And I've got the others that are twiddling their thumb two days, at, two, two days a week. So guess who's not going to make it? And I promise you, we're not going back to the travel like we used to after this. Right. The only time you're going face to face is when it has to be face to face. And, and it has, it has changed. And, and I think that there's, um, there's actually a lot of productivity gains as a result of it. I mean, I myself, I thought to myself, well, I've been, tra- I was traveling two days a week. That's that's a lot of extra time. Boy, I'm going to be bored. Well, guess what? I'm not bored. I mean, you know, we're doing more work than ever. I mean, we're we're really driving things through. It's you know, you know, again, entrepreneurs, we find ways to take time and make it productive time. Mm-hmm. And in some regards, this has been a very, very productive year for my organization. I mean, we've we've done a lot of really great things, whether it's new client work. In some cases, to utilizing the time to create the next great processes that we're going to implement. Right. What we found is efficiencies. And I think that we've also found gaps. We're realizing because we're watching it more carefully and we're able to actually monitor it because we're, you know, taking the time and we're present for it. We're not on a plane or trying to grab lunch at some restaurant in a town we don't know or, you know, whatever. So we have all this extra time where we can build in these efficiencies and we can streamline these processes. And I think what will happen is like 
what did with your friend is, you know, people aren't going to want to, the, the first instinct isn't going to be to hop on the plane. The, the last thing you will do is hop on the plane if that's what you have to do to save the deal and it's worth it. So there'll be a return on investment, you know, analysis <laughs> before yeah. hopping on planes, right? And, and, and relationships we're realizing can occur in this virtual environment. You and I can see each other. We can understand each other's needs. We can talk about our hopes and our dreams and how we might be able to help with that. And also, I think that the money is going to be spent very differently, I think we're going to realize profits because we're not flying people everywhere because we're not paying for hotels and meals and all of these things. But it's what companies do with those profits that's really going to matter. And I really feel like we need to be focusing those in on training, Mm -hmm. on monitoring KPIs systems so that we can monitor KPIs and on communication I think that we're going to find as we go into the future that communication will become more multi-channel. I mean, imagine when, you know, we just had the telephone and then we added the fax machine. Oh my God, we added the fax machine. And then we added the email, right? So now we've got three channels. Wow. What are we going to do? We're we're literally doing business in real time now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So now what's going to happen is we're going to add other channels. It's not going, gone will be the days of, you know, emailing a newsletter to clients so that they can pick through it and determine what it is that they are interested in reading about and, and we'll, we'll become more focused. So we're going to be delivering information to people via apps, via text, um, apps that are, act like text, like Slack. Mm-hmm. Um, via email still. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to be dropping things to people and picking it up in real time. We're going to be interacting on interactive documents, just like, you know, Google's been giving us and Microsoft's been giving us. Well, there will be this very rapid adoption of these types of tools. And then at the same time, there will be rapid adoption of project management tools so that we can manage the KPIs behind it all and determine what is truly working and what isn't. And I think it's going to take us even to that next level. Yeah. And, you know, I have to admit, so sometimes I, you know, it, it's, I feel like my parents may be a little bit, a little bit on the older side of things. And, and, and you start asking the questions, well, well, you know, back in my day and, you know, all that kind of stuff that we used to say, but, but I do wonder how relationships will change. I'm not one of these people that are going to sit here and say, oh, it's going to be terrible for relationships. I, I mean, I, I think it's, it's more about how the relationships change as opposed to, um, you know, well, this is going to be worse than that. You know, it used to be that we used to do this and that. Um, you know, I, I, I joked with somebody the other day that, that, you know, when I was young and, you know, we would date, you know, you, you would pick up, you'd pick up a telephone, your landline, and you get on it. And then your parents would be yelling you to get off because somebody else had to use the phone and all that kind of stuff. But, but if anything, you went and saw somebody. Now today, whole conversations get carried on through text. And, and you know, and it'd be really easy to say, well, how is that affecting things? You know, and, and how can they possibly get here or there? But it's, it's just more about different. It's what we're growing up with. And it's just the next shift. It's next, the next evolution. Because what happens when we, for instance, and I'll jump way to the future, when we're living on different planets, right? I mean, here we are. NASA is getting ready to send uh, people back to the moon. It's the step to Mars. Elon Musk has, has announced that, that we're going to be sending people to Mars just recently. They want to send the first civilian up on one of their spacecraft. I mean, you know, it's, it's, we're not far from now being even further away from each other. And so additional means of communication are going to be very, very important. So when we started, um, actually, before we, we dove into the interview, I had mentioned to Jennifer that time is going to fly, and, and it is. Uh, we're already to the end of our second segment. So uh, we're going to take a quick pause. Stay tuned. We're going to come back one last time. We're going to keep talking about um, this kind of entrepreneurial journey and um, you know the movement and where, where things are going. So stay tuned. We'll be back with Jennifer in just one minute. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through Clarity. 
purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back one last time with Jennifer Brazier. Jennifer, you know, uh, one of the things that comes to my mind is as we kind of kind of get back into a normal rhythm, we know that certain jobs are going to come back to the office. I mean, you know, I, I don't know, at least right now, that there's ever a scenario where the office becomes 100% remote. I mean, sometimes you're going to have to have call centers, equipment. You know, I was talking about a client where, you know, right now we've got two members of a family that are working remote and they're both using the kitchen table. There's just a, it mm-hmm. just doesn't get practical after a while, right? I mean, it's having some space. But the other thing, advantage to this is it opens up the ability to have people anywhere in the world. So I've got another client, for instance, who is taking advantage where they were having a hard time hiring people. We've come come out of a period where finding people has been very difficult. They they were having a hard time hiring people. Um, Now they can actually have people anywhere in the country. And in some cases, like some California client, they're they're actually employing people remotely outside of California. It's a lot less expensive for them, right? California can be expensive. So so there is always going to be this kind of I think there's always going to be the opportunity for remote moving forward and there's going to be kind of the, the, the main office as well. And what can happen, one of the dangers is you can end up with split cultures if you're not careful. So there's always going to be a culture where you're at. We're always going to work on the cultures in, in, you know, in these main facilities, these main offices, all of that. But how do you ensure that the other people, the, the people who are remote are part of the culture? And is it even important? Do they have to be? Do they have to be aligned to the culture? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think speaking from the position as as the boss, right, uh, I would say that one of the things you want to be careful about is to lay the guidelines for communications right up front. I think it's really important. And, and you know, it, you can... <laughs> You can have this 24-7 world start to emerge, right? Because you've got maybe maybe you have people working in New Zealand, you have people in the UK, you have, you know, some folks in Singapore, and then you have people in the US. Now we don't, we happen to be a US-based business only, but all of those are potential. So so it's not just that you could be in California and you could hire someone in Wyoming, uh, you know, at half the price or, or give them what you would pay in California and get a caliber of person that's so much greater. Um, but you could go worldwide, right? And so then you run into this thing where this communication is not really on a nine to five anymore. You can't really shut it off. It's happening constantly. Yes, yes. There's no off switch right now. There is no off switch. And, and, and one of the things that will happen, you know, as the boss is uh, I wake up at three o'clock in the morning. I have a brainstorm. I have to start typing. I've got to get that idea out there. Usually it's going to go to my executive team. Maybe it goes to my marketing, you know, team. Um, but, but I've got to get it out there. Well, I mean, obviously I don't want somebody answering my email at three o'clock in the morning, but I'm going to hit send. I'm not going to wait until eight o'clock in the morning to hit send because maybe I have a meeting at eight o'clock. Maybe I have other things going on. I'm just, I'm going to send it. Okay. But I'm the boss. So they get that email, they take a look, they're like, Oh my God. Wow. Okay. And they're already figuring out how to rearrange their day just because they rolled over to get a drink of water in the middle of the night. And so I think that it's really important. And in, in our company, 
we have these communication boundaries. We have these these guidelines. And, And what the guidelines say is if it's a client communication, we coach our clients to use the word urgent if it is a matter that is of urgency. And we ask them not to if it is not. And that alone allows us to then receive 20 emails from them. Oh, I got this bill. Oh, I talked to this person. Oh, we're going to be changing this account over here. This client's going to going to pay with a different form of payment. All of these emails coming in or texts or however they communicate with us. And we don't have to react because we know that we can get to them all at one point in time. But then they send through that urgent, urgent. I'm filling out my mortgage application. I have to have an up-to-date personal financial statement by the end of the day. Can you help me? Now we know this needs attention. The and same so, thing has to- in that so in that vein, have you have you educated them on when to use the word urgent? Because urgent for me might be different than urgent for you. We have. We've told them if you need it in the same day, then you need to let us know that it's urgent. That way, all the other work we may be seeing it. We may very well be doing it. But we're not feeling like we need to get back to you right away to let you know it's been done because it's not of an urgent nature. Now, here's what we do on the back end, though. We coach the client and then we coach the staff and we say, make sure that you connect the emails or the Slack channel or whatever the preferred mode of communication is for your company to your phone so that you can monitor the emails. But we want you only to monitor them. And we do not want you to respond to them unless it's a quick response to let them know that you have the ball in your court. So for example, Mr. Smith says, urgently, I need that financial statement. Well, you're walking into a yoga class. And after this, you're getting some groceries and then you're picking up Billy from school before you get home in front of your computer. So what do you do? You let him know that you got his urgent email. You let him know when you will be able to get to it and when he can expect to get that work product from you. And then you're done. You're shut off. Enjoy your yoga class. Go to your grocery store. Pick up your son. If you have an iPad in the car, you might get the work done while you're waiting for Billy to run out from the school. You know, it. it but the point is the client knows that you have the ball in your hand and they're not sitting there wondering, 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 writing the story in their head, thinking you're non-responsive. Don't really, maybe I should send another email. Maybe I should text her as well. Maybe I should also try to call her. No, because you've now contained it. So with staff, it's a little bit different. With staff, I tell them right up front, I'm going to email you all hours just because I'm going to email you when I think about it. But we have our briefings that we go through. And on a weekly basis, account services, that's my accounting department, we go through some briefings. Operations on a weekly basis, technology, marketing. And so I have my cadence with them already. Yeah, They know when they get something from me, they're going to add it to that cadence. They're going to get back to me with whatever research or ideas they have on it when we have our update. If I need it right away, I need to mark it urgent. I need to act like I'm their client Mm -hmm. and let them know, hey, I'm going to need this thing. This is like, stop everything and focus on this. Put this at the top of the list. And then they always do. They always deliver. I'm happy because they get back to me right away and let me know they got it. Whereas all the other ones, I don't care. You don't have to let me know you got it. I'm going to know when we have our briefing that you got it. So this this need for this constant feedback has to go away and you have to decide and set the rules for when feedback is necessary. And every company is going to be different, but that's what starts to create the culture because then it's the person who's not willing to write back to the urgent email or the person who hasn't connected things to their phone or the person who writes back to every single email and just floods the email box because they have to be heard. You know, those are the ones that are deviating from the culture and they start to weed themselves out quite quickly. Yeah. And so it starts with a definition of the culture you want, but I, I think about it because what you said hits home. I mean, one of my clients, for instance, they established a rule and they said, you know, every employee knows the hours that they work. And if, if your, if your work hours are, let's, let's call it nine to five, we'll just pick, you know, the normal, right? Let's say their, their work hours, eight thirty to five, nine to five, whatever it is. 
um, what they've said is, is that, you know, they kind of, they also pay for performance. So unless the person is on a customer service system where they've got to be on the phone during certain hours, as long as they're getting their work done in the time that's allotted, that's okay. Mm -hmm. They don't care really if the person's doing it at 10 o'clock at night or nine in the morning. But what they've said is for communication, your, your, your hours are eight 30 to five. And unless it's marked urgent, any emails you get after hours don't have to be responded to until eight 30 the next morning or later. Right. Um, now sometimes they have a, you know, respond within 24 hour guideline or something like that. But, but I think it's, um, I think it is important to, to, to let people know that they've got some of that space. So foundation of culture, but, but it's also, I mean, the other tie to it is, is hiring the right people. And my guess is, is, is when you're hiring or contracting, I don't know, you you, you have, um, both employees and contractors. Yes, yeah. we have both. Yeah. And so, so I, contractors have to align your culture just like employees do. My guess mm -hmm. is your interview process with them is no different if they're in North Dakota than if they're right there in your backyard. Exactly. Yes. They have to jump through all of the same hoops. And, and one of those hoops, it, it's a little bit different is, you know, they submit their resume. We take a look and see if we like what we see. We have certain criteria and then um, we actually point them toward our website and we ask them to take a look at our company and let us know five reasons why they feel that we would be a good fit for them. For them. And if they don't bullet their answers to show us there are five, if they don't get it back by the time that we ask them to get it back by, if they get it wrong, and they do the opposite, then we know they didn't read the request carefully. Mm -hmm. And we can see a lot from just that little bit of research that we have them do. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's a really interesting way to test them. Uh, you know, so in, in your book also, you've got, I mean, the communication tools are, are really important and, and we can get really tactical, right? You know, routing emails and all those kind of things. I mean, you know, many of us get hundreds of junk emails a day in some cases, especially if your email has been around for a while. So I'm sure you've got tactics there. But, um, you know, are, are there any other tools you'd like to highlight before we run out of time here? Things that can really help our, our, our listeners um, in, in working in this virtual world. Absolutely. Because, you know, for us, we almost have to adopt the tools of the larger companies because in a virtual world, even though we might be a small business, we're going to be dealing with those same problems. We can't walk into the office and feel the pulse. We can't see who's screwing off by the, by the, you know, in the break room and who's actually doing their work, right? We can't tell if there's drama going on. So we need to use KPIs. And um, I highly recommend a work tracker. We do the same thing as you had mentioned your friend does is, you know, we don't, we, to our client facing side, we have hours mm -hmm. that we're available. We're sure. seven to seven, but on the staff facing side, we're work product driven. So I don't care when you do your work, just as long as you're available to your clients for urgent requests during those hours and you're getting your work done. And so we're looking at KPIs and we run a work tracker so that we can measure the hours that they're reporting to us versus the hours that they're actually tracking on the cloud. So how, how does that work? So we require them to do all work within the cloud environment within our, our private cloud. Got it. So they, have to, they have to log in there. The work tracker is tracking the user from the moment the login occurs. It can track idle time and active time. So we've set it so that if there are a certain number of seconds of idle time, longer than just reading what's on the screen, then we stop tracking because you've obviously gotten up and taken a conversation or you're petting your dog or something because you're not working, right? And so we can see what they click on. We can see all of these things, but we're not really looking at this minutia. What we're looking at is what is your overall, you know, how many hours are we tracking that you're actually doing work and how many hours are you putting on your timesheet? Right there, right up front, telling them that we're looking at it, measuring it immediately from week one. And if there is a deviation, immediately bringing it to their attention and asking them what they think it is and trying to problem solve around it because it is not acceptable to so, have a deviation. So are, if they're in a meeting, that's probably being tracked through the software. What about a phone call? I mean, or, or do they not take phone calls? Do they not talk to their cl clients that way? So how does, how, how would that work? 
they absolutely take phone calls. So what we do is we have an acceptable deviation percentage that we have decided is going to be okay. And as long as they fall within their acceptable deviation, we're fine with that because we know phone calls happen, right? We know that things do have to happen off of the servers or or what we would call the cloud servers because they're all virtual. And so, um, but there's an acceptable deviation and we know that because we've been doing this for a little while Mm -hmm. and we know how long, how much of your time gets spent on phone calls. Also, we have as a client service, a certain number of calls and meetings that are included. And then after that, it becomes a custom hourly request. The client can have as many meetings as they want, but they have to pay for it. Right. Yeah, gotcha. So yeah, that's going to so, be on a billable sheet anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So then we're going to see that on the timesheet and that's going to align. Critically important. One of the most important parts of the business simply because it tells an employee, a staff member, whether they're independent contractor or employee, right up front, we're watching, it matters. And you're going to collaborate with us to make sure that we understand what you are doing. And right up front, it eliminates anyone who's ever going to try to pull any funny business, right? Because we're, we're watching. Right. <laughs> so, right. Well, Very important stuff. That that's excellent. Boy, we've covered a lot of ground today. I mean, I you know the the story about you know launching a business, being a real entrepreneur, and then even getting into some of the tactics and reality of virtual. I mean, we've we've covered covered the gambit. And so you know, I really appreciate your being with us. I mean, we're already out of time. I mean, it, again, amazing how fast it goes. So you know, for for any of you that are listening, the book is from cubicle to cloud. Um, it's really a good one. I've I've enjoyed reading it myself. And I, I there's just you, there's a lot of good takeaways in it. Worth reading. Available on Amazon. Um, you know, so check it out. Jennifer Brazer, last name B-R-A-Z-E-R, uh, if you're looking it up. And uh, if, if anybody ever wants to get in contact with her or check out her company, the company's Complete Controller. I'm assuming it's available, completecontroller.com, if anybody's looking for that. But you're always welcome to reach out to me through the, the radio station. Um, and uh, always can track me down at, at my website, too, at, at chriselliasauthor.com. So um, anyway, Jennifer, thanks again for, for being with us today. Thank you so much, Chris. It's been fun. It has been fun. And uh, folks, until, uh, until next week, I hope everybody has a good and productive week, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a good week.